Hi, welcome to the agency. We are excited again. We have a guest and it's a recurring guest. Maybe we're going to go crazy and call him a regular. It's uh, David from Mr. Wu's Pigs in, in the UK. Hi. Hey there, everybody. Hi, how you doing? Good. How are you doing, Eugene? Uh, I'm doing very well. David, good to talk to you again. You too, Eugene. Great. Um, yeah. Now, a um, couple of things. We're here to talk about the Wicker Man. But we also want to hear what you're doing, um, David. What's going on with you and your recording, your music, and such? Okay, I'll, I'll kick off with that then. Um, I just released um, my third album proper, and that's uh, this time I decided to do like a covers album. Uh, Excellent. Which seems to be something that at the time I started it, I didn't realize a lot of um, bands and, and, and artists were doing during lockdown and uh, and so there's, there seems to be a rash of them all at the same time going out but but that's kind of fine I guess it was just it was something that took my fancy and I thought why not that's cool I know people who collect cover songs they they'll make you know all kinds of um streaming with just covers my brother-in-law loves cover songs what can you give us a couple of titles that you've covered yeah um I started off with an Electric Eels uh, song. They're a kind of uh, proto-punk band from Cleveland, Ohio, rather than Cleveland in the north of mm -hmm. England. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and they kind of were doing stuff around 72, 73. And I wanted to start off with that because somebody had once compared Mr. Wu's Pigs to, to Electric Eels. And I thought, well, okay, well, that'd, that'd be interesting. Oh. So that's one that's the most in my wheelhouse. And then I kind of went off piece a little bit and did things like by the band Beirut and Prince and uh, and rockabilly band uh, the Bell Furies and then I ended it with the, with that classic The End of the World by um, Skeeter Davis and, I, and my, my what I wanted to do was kind of abridge everything or rather not abridge because I didn't really cut anything much but I wanted to make everything tighter and shorter and faster yeah. So, you know, something like The End of the World, which is already quite short at about two minutes 40, is now one minute 20 in my version. But just, it's like the Dickies did it or, or <laughs> the Toy Dolls or something, you know. it's uh, What a cool idea. Yeah, no, it was, it was a lot of fun, you know, and I brought in a couple of friends for some guitar solos and, uh, yeah, we had a ball, so. Very cool. Thanks a lot. And, and where can we find that? That is on Bandcamp, but it's also on Spotify, it's on Great. Amazon, it's on iTunes, whatever. Wherever Thank you get your music, you should find it. Thank you. Awesome. Great. I hope our listeners check it out. I think it sounds like a lot of fun. Okay, so I'm pretty excited because we've got, um, we've kind of forced Eugene to, um, how do you describe yourself today? We're going to talk about the Wicker Man in 1970. I, I am a Wicker, a Wicker Man virgin. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so you watched it this week and I'd love I to did. know I'd like to know what you thought. Can we start with that? Since well, you're yeah, I, have, I have lots of thoughts about it. Uh, I didn't know what to expect going in at all except that it was a horror film. But I didn't see it like a horror film really. Um, mm -hmm. It's much different than most horror films I've seen. It's certainly a peculiar film um, with a remarkably straightforward story mm -hmm. cop lured to island and sacrificed well he thinks he's <laughs> investigating i think that kind of sums it up right and there goes our ruining movies right off the top <laughs> well yeah i mean you might as well get right to it um i i mean i think it's a historic film uh, we don't we're not worrying too You're much right. about people no. knowing no, the ending. um no. i think the bigger surprise is christopher lee's hair which is spectacular <laughs> i loved it man well he doesn't just have one hairstyle in this movie and i love the way at any given time anyone in the cast can burst into folk music right right it, well that's 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 scotland isn't it, is it every <laughs> part in scotland they do that in scotland and, and ireland and you know i think that's the that's just the way things are that's just the way things are <laughs> david do you want to give us a little bit of a plot um yeah i mean i guess I couldn't be quite as succinct as, as Eugene was there. <laughs> <laughs> he missed out that key plot device of all horror movies, which is really the Virgin is in this case twisted on its head because the Virgin yes. normally survives in horror films, of course. But here he's, well, spoiler alert, the one who yeah. ends up being sort yeah. of sacrificed. Right. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess, yeah, he's, he's called to an island to investigate the disappearance of a girl. Um, 
all knowledge of this girl is denied and he finds there's a big conspiracy basically doesn't he and uh, yes. and he suffers for that discovery yes and i'm going to take it a little bit further i'm going to say made written in 1971 and 72 and boy is this ever a 70s movie I'm mm -hmm. going to say it may have come off the heels of the Manson murders and um, this kind of group of people is frightening and it begins very, you know, I find this beginning so compelling. It's a little aircraft flown by one person into an island. You're right, a remote idea of an island in Scotland. And we find out after a few minutes, he's a cop. And I found watching it this week that there was a lot of things in this movie that seemed extremely relevant today. One coming out of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with the Quentin Tarantino movie and that the portrayal of a cult or a religion on the side that was not, you know, that was kind of frightening to um, contemporary people. And then the folk music, because Stag does not like, my husband does not like horror movies, especially if they have anything to do with um, the devil or Catholicism. Other horror movies, he can watch Scary Clowns or something, but anything to do with uh, Catholicism, he's out. He will not watch it. Um, he might watch a, you know, a vampire movie to humor me, um, but not really. So he was really afraid. <laughs> and I said, I think once you hear the soundtrack, it's pretty hard to be afraid. So the soundtrack <laughs> is original music to the lyrics of Robbie Burns' poems. Is that correct? That's I, call him Robbie. I call him Robbie. I call him Robbie. Yeah, yeah. I think some so, some of them are certainly his. I'm not sure uh, if if all of them are. I've, I've got the the soundtrack booklet here. So I can... ooh, I love this. Okay, look at we are doing research. <laughs> I see you've got a figure on your pillows behind you too. We've got to get to that. Yeah, I, I kind of yeah. I can, this is this is um, a, a little poster that um, that I knocked up based on an original poster from the 1977 US reissue. I love um, it. Which is great because, I mean, I know you can see it and probably listeners won't be able to. Yes. But what's great about this poster is that it doesn't reveal the ending. So no, it doesn't. Posters have the kind of the iconic yes. final image. Yes. And it's kind of like, that spoils everything. Yes. You know, oh, like me, much. like me spoiling everything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I just think it's a better image. It's not well. Maybe it's not a better image, but it's it's less spoilery, isn't it? Well, so. I think so. And I'm going to get to that image. We'll talk about that in a, in a few minutes because I've got a little background on that myself. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So it, it looks like some of the lyrics were were um, adapted from Burns, but some were actually original. Oh, original. okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. I love the music in this movie, actually. And I love that we see people playing music in it. I think that's really fun. And also, during the movie, I think the music gets creepier, which you would expect from a horror film. Yeah. It's also called, it's really not a normal horror film. It's a genre of folk horror. And folk horror premise is that when we go into nature or a small town, that there's this opposition to the city folk. And that there's still some kind of pagan violence or something going on that's, you know, very suspicious. So in that way, and that the, that when you go back to nature, this mayhem is going to come out. And um, I might say that I wanted to mention a couple of other movies um, that this makes me think of. And that's uh, Peck and Paw's Straw Dogs, where Dustin Hoffman goes to a small town. He gets a grant. He's a mathematician and he's going to he's going to study the stars and what they're composed of. So it couldn't be more highfalutin and um, goes to a small town and, you know, it's not good. They resent his fanciness. He's married one of their own, one of their girls. So the city folk are taking over this. And I think that there's a real city, city mouse and country mouse to Wicker Man as well. There's well, a just, lot of not just country mouse. Um, you know, we're talking about uh, an island in the Hebrides. Uh, we're pretty isolated yes. places. Yes. Um, you know, I, I thought of I, I thought of our own kind of island in the Hebrides, Newfoundland, uh, <laughs> off the east coast, uh, in in which um, when when I was there, I thought all oh, these people know something that I don't. <laughs> you know, uh, there was just a, a like a difference in the way people carried themselves. Um, 
their kind of attitudes towards everything and their experience, even though we live in a world museum, their experience seemed to be uh, a little bit different than uh, than mine. And of course, they talk about, well, you come from away. Um, mm. And I, I thought it was kind of similar to uh, the folks on this island who have their own ways of uh, of doing business. Yes. One. So we find out that he's a cop and he lands his plane and he calls out for help. Come and help me. I need a dinghy to get in. And they're acting like they don't even speak the language. These guys. Oh, there's a harbor master. And I love it. There's a big sign that says harbor master in case we don't know. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. They are not willing to come and get this guy in. They're very reluctant. And um, it turns out that he's coming to hunt a missing girl. And he looks for all of these clues and no one says they know the girl. He has received an anonymous letter saying that they should look into the, he should look into this disappearance. It's also very strange that after a few days, he doesn't go and get more cops to come and help him. I, I always wondered about that. Um, and of well, course- he tries. Does he, he tries, but his plane won't start. Oh, his plane won't start. <laughs> That's I right. hate when that happens. For a moment there, I wasn't sure if, if all three of us are going to be talking about different cuts of the film, because I think yes. Hand is probably what shortest cut. Um, and, yes. and I just recently the middle cut. So I'd be interested to know what, what cut Eugene watched, whether it's the director's cut or the... It's not. I don't think it's the director's cut. I, I left him one of my DVDs. Uh, okay. And okay. I think it's 90 minutes yours, right? You know how many yeah, minutes approximately yes right so we yeah. have the very shortest we're missing songs yeah, yeah. we're missing action yeah 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 which comes to part of the story of the wicker man is it's studied one because in academia it is beloved because of its con uh confluence between the law contemporary society and this idea of like that's kind of bullshit from this from this isolated island they really look at a lot of things as like yeah, yeah, that's kind of bullshit. You're not the law to us. But that's right. Civil a, authority is not their thing. No, and there's a subtext here of that this film, um, although it's a cult classic and beloved, it died at the time it came out. No mm. one wanted to fund it. No, well, they barely had a budget, and all of those things, and it suffered. It went, it went into art houses. And then it went into art schools and um, you're going to find musicians and punk rockers and outsiders know this movie. And a lot of mainstream people did not see this movie unless they were going to 70s art houses, and repertoire theaters, maybe in the 80s and 90s. It got a, a bit of attention, too. And then yeah, in well, 20th, you, okay, go ahead. You, you probably know that in the UK, it opened as a B movie to Don't Look Now. I do uh, know that. One of my very favorite films. It would be such a cool double bill, wouldn't it? Oh, God, it'd be insane. Uh, well, I've mentioned Don't Look Now on this podcast before because that's the movie I saw in Kitimat, BC, not far from Alaska, in a small town where they played old movies. They didn't get first run. And that's the movie where I said to myself after I left, something else is going on in movie making than I know of. These colors of the colors of the film mean something. I had no clue. I was a teenager, but I went, something else is going on. They know something I don't know. Yeah. And so just back to our small town or Newfoundland, I had the feeling in art, these guys know something that I don't know. And I need to, I need to figure this out. You also watched it, Candy, from a very peculiar place. You watched it from a, a town that's not just a small town, <laughs> but uh, it's a, it's one of the weirdest places that I've ever been to in that the downtown is a mall, yes. is a shopping mall, and the town is organized. It's a company town, and it's got spokes that go out from the mall, and everything is in the spokes except all the stuff that doesn't fit, all the weird stuff, and it's along the river in a place called the Service Center, mm -hmm. and... Um, it's, I mean, talk about being from, from away. I mean, that's, if you're from Kitimat, you're, you're living in a really, a, a place that's really quite, quite isolated in a similar sort of way than uh, the Hebrides. Absolutely. And, and so movies were absolutely mind blowing to me. They were, I, you know, you're like, that's your big excitement. And I mean, Hollywood, I mean, we definitely had the Oscars would air in Kitimat. They would show up on the, the one TV channel we had. So it was really like watching this other world for sure. And then a movie like Don't Look Now is filmed in, in Venice. 
So mm -hmm. it's a shame. It must have been an incredible double bill. I would love it if people would play those as a double bill again, Wicker Man and then Don't Look Now. Um, it, it could also, we could also tie it into Deliverance and Easy Rider with this kind of um, unexpected violence when we think that we have law and order, we have religion, and, um, and yet that all backfires. David, I also thought this could have been an interesting metaphor for terrorism. Ooh, maybe. Is um, it too far to say that? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just not something that had occurred to me, I guess, because um, terrorism is such a weird kind of, uh, you know, it's like, I don't know, Terrorism is only terrorism if the perpetrator's brown, isn't it? Is that, is that right? That's true. That is true. Yeah, that definitely in the United States. I guess. I guess. Let me put it this way: where they have taken um, a spiritual concept. For me, terrorism is when you take and fundamentalism. It's when you take a spiritual concept, uh, concept and make it um, factual. So yeah. instead of it being metaphoric or spiritual or your inner life or poetry, and you take it as a fact, because we, even though there's only one cop, he comes from a very powerful self-belief. It's sort of why he carries the movie in a lot of ways. Edward Woodward is amazing. Yeah. Um, because and he, he, carries, he carries Christianity correct. versus uh, this other religion, which is, how would you describe it? Nature worship, reincarnation, fertility rights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, very land-based religion. Definitely. Yeah. And yet both sides will not compromise. They, they won't listen to each other. I guess that's why I, I think of it as like they both stay stuck in their way and do not listen to each other. So we have this storyline. So he's trying to find out the mystery of this uh, missing girl. Everyone he talks to lies to him. The town is absolutely charming. It's weird that it's isolated because it's kind of my fantasy British town. I've not been to the UK, but if I thought of a small town in the UK, I would think of this place from every movie. Hey, yeah. you know what it also reminded me of? It reminded me of the village in The Prisoner. Absolutely. Yeah, well, that, that's it. That's what I'm where, saying. You is know, it's an isolated place where strange things happen <laughs> that you yeah. can't get out of. Yeah. David, is it like small town UK? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, certainly there are some small towns and, and in particular villages where you could get that, that feel for sure, even today, you know, where you would walk, you know, the, the classic, you know, is walking into a pub and like the music stops and everybody stares and looks at you, you know, that's the kind of, that's the archetypal village pub, you know, when you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Hey, what about that candy shop? Is that the creepiest sweet store on the planet? <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that, I mean, because uh, I've not ever been to where the film was shot and I should go one day, but but even sort of 25 years later, a lot of it hasn't changed. Um, uh. And I love the idea that you, if I owned that shop, I would still have all that creepy stuff in the window <laughs> to this day, I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, it's just... Yes. <laughs> Yes. So they have things like um, weird, uh, like a mask cake, cake. I think they have like, is it a baby or is it a child that's condensed? And it almost looks like that guy who painted, um, he's so out of favor, Baltos. Um, it almost looked like one of his figures. They'd have these babies or children cakes that you cut up and eat. Um, yeah. And then scary lollipops. <laughs> And she was creepy too because she was super kind of polite, nice, but again, she knew something. Yeah. And she was supposedly the mother of the missing girl. Yeah. And she goes, I don't know who she is. Here's my daughter. And then you go and see her daughter's drawing a picture of a hare. And he goes, Oh, look at a rabbit. And she goes, It's not a rabbit, it's a hare. Um, which they really drive home that Celtic myth. There's a mythology around hares in Scotland. And they're always able to keep bringing it back hauntingly to um, ancient figures, which reminds me of your poster that you've got. I've got a book here called The Green Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And when the film opens, there's a flag with a, what I, it's a sunshine, but it's also like a green man. Um, a green man in England is um, basically a feature on architecture dating back at least to 1100s and it's um, a face or a mask because sometimes people think it's a human face, but
but often it's actually a mask with plants coming out of it and leaves coming out of it. And it's also the name of a pub. Is that correct? Lots of pubs are called the Green Man. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's why I like your poster so much. Yeah, well, that's, that's a sun, you know, but, uh, yes. but I definitely got that exact same vibe as the, as the Green Man image, for sure, yeah. Definitely. And the Green Man, I mean, some people have, I guess a lot of um, academics and historians, they consider it sort of pagan, and, and this idea comes back from Romanesque buildings, and um, there's there are a lot of churches like in Herefordshire, there's a church that has a, a lot of green men on it, and they claim that this guy had got inspired by French churches. And old properties used to have their own church. They would build their own little church, which now turns into a parish. And often these um, medieval churches, private churches, have green men on them. And this fellow, uh, Kelkirk, he had traveled to, they believe it's part of the evidence that he had done the um, pilgrimage to um, I'm going to blow this name so badly. I, and I've mentioned it so many times. I should memorize how to say it. Santiago de Campestello. Okay, yeah, and yeah. that's a pilgrimage that's believed that has St. James buried at the, at the end of it. It's under the Milky Way. So it's nicknamed The Way. And um, you walk from between Spain and France on it. And so the Green Man kind of goes back to that. And I find that really super interesting. Because it's not that they're anti christian in a weird way it's that christianity actually still carries the history of the past yeah it's almost like a container for paganism in catholic churches if you will rather than pushing it away it's preserved those traditions yeah i i don't know a great deal about um much (laughs) (laughs) But specifically, you know, the, the kind of the, the, the links between paganism and, and, and Christianity. I understand things like, you know, Christmas Day used to be a pagan festival and it's become the birth right. of Christ and stuff like that. And, and, you know, some of which I'm sure is um, now urban legend or, or Facebook fake news. But but right. certainly I believe there is uh, some of that stuff where, where Christianity absor- absorbed what were already observed uh, religious holidays. Uh, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. so, I mean. Well, you and I are both on a Facebook page, David, uh, for the Wicker Man. Mm. And they post all kinds, people post all kinds of things. Why do we love the Wicker Man? I mean, what's the deal? You know, for me, at least in part, um, it was... I think part of my love for it comes from when I first saw it. I was about 16. I've got the actual date in front of me here. (laughs) I love it. Uh, uh, I say 25 years ago, but that was was a a few years ago. So, yeah, I was was about 16-ish. And it was the the launch film of 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 a new TV series that was focusing on cult films. And it was the first film. I thought, oh, I don't really know what a cult film is, but I'm going to watch this. This is going to be a great series. And it was the whole show was kind of headed up by Alex Cox, who directed Repo Man. You know, so he himself uh, a cult filmmaker. So it was it was a great in for me. And I watched this film, The Wicker Man, from the beginning. I didn't have a clue what was going on. You get to the end, you've got this in, insane kind of twist, and and it just blew my mind. And and that was the point at which I thought. Films are not just to be watched and absorbed and forgotten about. This was like the film that made me realise films were a whole thing that was amazing. You know, it was, it was what turned me from a film watcher to a film lover, I think. So it's got a very special place in my heart anyway. Mm. Um, and then you've got, yeah, this crazy music, you know, which which I love. You know, I'm not a huge folk music fan, but <laughs> it's just uh, other elements. And I guess because it's all part and parcel of the film, it just... Uh, I really like it. You know, the lyrics are all bawdy and rude. True. You know? and, and you've got, you know, naked Brit Eklund dancing around. I mean, what's not to love? It's wicked, you know? You've got the Wasn't that a bizarre scene? <laughs> what was that? Sorry. <laughs> the naked Brit Eklund scene was very bizarre and strangely compelling. <laughs> yeah, it was Strid- weird. With the hitting the wood, she was tapping a lot of things that were made of wood. She tapped the walls too, but. There was definitely like a knock on wood thing going on. Uh, Rod Stewart was married to her at the time, newly married, I believe. And he tried to cancel the film. 
because he didn't want her naked in this film. And one of the producers I read, I've got another book here by um, Alan Brown, The Wicker Man. And he says, one of the producers is like, I, I think this is rubbish. Every one of her films, she's got her tits in them. <laughs> so I guess I love the fact that um, Rod Stewart was in such a powerful position. He thought he could uh, get rid of this film like the Manchurian Candidate or something. It's pretty crazy. And that was, and, and that of course was, was Howie's get out clause. If only he had been seduced, if only he'd lost his virginity at that point, yes. he would have been saved. Oh, right. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. He didn't, he didn't get that. Um, yeah, there is a, it's, it's, again, now we're going to ruin more plots here, but if anyone's ever seen Freaks, it has that same weird twist where you've got this circus environment, a woman goes in and she's very pretty but she's not, she's normal where everyone else has got their, um, they've got their um, hustle. And so basically um, what happens is at some point during the Wicker Man, um, like freaks and freaks, they turn her into a chicken body at the end of the movie and she becomes one of us. And in a way, Edward Woodward has that happen to him too, because I think it does reach to freaks. I think they really captured that sense of a community that if you're going to be part of the community, you've got to give into it. And um, at some point when you realize that he's been circled by all of the town and all of the village, and they had written a fake letter, they were the ones who sent the fake letter to him in order to get him to come to the island so that they could have a, a willing um, sacrifice because he decided to come to the island. They didn't force him. They tricked him, but they didn't force him. So part of a sacrifice, it's called a substitute king. And in, in mythology, going back at least four or 5,000 years, we have accounts in uh, Syrian culture of a substitute king. And a substitute king is most popular when there's going to be an eclipse. And um, the people who would study the sky would tell the king, uh-oh, in six months, you're going to have an eclipse. we got to get another king in there. And we're going, to sacri- we're going to get that king and we're going to party him up and, and he's going to have a beautiful queen. And after the eclipse, they're going to be blamed for the disaster and then we'll kill them and you step back into power. And um, Edward Woodward is playing that part of a substitute king because it really it is Lord Summerisle, who is played by Christopher Lee. We haven't even mentioned that because Christopher Lee was very famous for Hammer films in the UK and they not only try to do a different type of horror than Dracula and Christopher Lee, they use Christopher Lee in the film, which I think is brilliant casting. (sighs) There's a lot about sex in this movie. Well, I think Christopher (laughs) Lee was key because he was like Mr. Horror film. Yes. And particularly Hammer films, which was the, the, where all the money was. They couldn't get any money for this film, but Hammer was, you know, spending it like crazy and they were very garish uh you know i was a big fan of hammer films they you know bloody gore uh black dark lighting this film goes for handheld camera uh cinema verite if you will a realistic clothing of uh they're not old-fashioned people on summer out they look like hippies (laughs) so that addresses the fact that they're going between the cops and hippie culture and the youth and the youth culture, um, the Beatles had become established. Um, they started the Rolling Stones and all of the young kids um, started out as alternative and had become mainstream by then, right? So it's a weird, a weird play that um, mimics that the cops had lost a lot of their power in the UK and in the United States. Yeah. For that matter. Yeah. There's also the message going on that Christianity is over. Yes, good point, Eugene. Right? There's there's that that scene where they talk about the true God, and mm-hmm. I think it's Christopher Lee said, "Look, he had his chance, but he blew it." Yeah, yeah. You know that that brings up something that every when I watch this film, I'm always trapped by the idea. He's Edward Woodward, the the sacrifice. They build a great big uh, wicker god, which is on most of the posters, as David says. So we're not blowing anything because the movie posters blow it. Um, (laughs) And they put him into this. And as he's going, he tries to resist. And yet, if he's such a great Christian, 
Why doesn't he understand that he's making the same sacrifice Jesus made? Uh, there's a weird part in that where I'm like, dude, you should embrace this. You're so lucky you do get to live like Christian, like Christ. You're, if you're supposed to be Christian and live like Christ, you are actually literally walking in their footsteps. So well, I Chris always believe that Lord Summerall even says that to him, doesn't yes. he? He says, you, you, you're going to get what uh, is so rare these days, a martyr's death. You know? yes. and, uh, yeah, isn't it's that so jolly beautiful. good? I love it. I, I think it's really profound. I, I, and I don't know what it means to me because much of the film, as much as I like it, I feel like I'm still like, what am I missing here? I know there's something going on and there's a deeper meaning. I still don't really, I get it unconsciously. Yeah. I don't think I get it consciously. Yeah. Did you know that the, uh, uh, you know, I've got this book by um, Alan Brown and it's got a lot of quotes by, um, different people. It's all production notes. It's only really. I don't know who would want to read it, <laughs> except die crazy people, crazy, yeah, diehards. <laughs> and um, somewhere in there, or on my readings, the Bible Belt. When they took the film out to United States, the Bible Belt loved it because they thought it was the best explanation of resurrection they'd ever seen filmed. Okay. It was not turning them off. They really got it. They thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Now, it's a great book, though. You know, I, I love Alan Brown's book so, so much I bought it three times. But, um, <laughs> I know, look at us nerds here. I love you it. You two are adorable. It's really funny. Adorkable. Um, adorkable, yeah. Yeah. No, but it's, uh, and, and so, you know, we, we talked about the, um, the folk horror, uh, and obviously there's not just the old films like Deliverance and what have you, but there's also the stuff like Midsummer. I don't know if you've seen that. The, I have the... not watched it. It's on my streaming service. I thought I'm going to have to dig that out. Tell us about that. Well, it's, I resisted it for a long time. It came out a couple of years ago, as you know, and I resisted it because I kind of thought on the surface it just looked like The Wicker Man, but an hour longer. I thought, why do I need to watch that man twice in that time instead, you know? Um, and then eventually I, I, I warmed to the idea and, and I got the copy. And uh, I think it's really good, you know? It, it's, it's, a similar, it's a similar device of, you know, the, the, the city folk going voluntarily to uh, a commune, if you like. So they're coming from, God, I watched it the other night, New York, I'm thinking... And they're going to Sweden uh, oh. to, a, to a friend's village where he, he came from. Uh, and one of the guys, their students, he wants to write about this, uh, this unusual commune that his new friend is from. Um, and yeah, and basically, uh, there is evil afoot. Um, but, it's, but it's not evil. It's, it's in the name of their culture and in the name of their religion, if you like, their beliefs. Uh, but it's... It's a good film. It's definitely something you should put up I your will, list of. I will you. because um, I watched the Wicker Man that I watched this week. I watched it on streaming, and when it came up, other films come up with it. Midsummer just kept coming up, and I went, "I wonder what the hell that is." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems so, to me that um, that one of Henning Mankell's Wallander novels centers around uh, Midsummer and. Uh, an apparent ritual killing on Midsummer. Okay. Oh, there you go. I'm sure that maybe it's, uh, yeah, maybe that's just out there, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. We don't have Midsummer here as a thing. Yeah. Uh, it's like when, when I, that's the first I read about it was in that uh, Wallander book. And I had never, I'd never heard of it. I didn't know anything about yeah. Midsummer. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, you know, I guess, in, in Sweden and in, in those Northern Europe countries where, you know, midnight is still really quite light, you know, and it's just a really weird time. It must, it must really mess with your head to be awake <laughs> at 11 o'clock at night and it's still daylight virtually, yeah. you know. So, yeah. And, and there's one, in fact, the, the lead character in this, uh, she, is, she is named their, their May Queen. So you've got that tie into the, the Queen of the May in, in The Wicker Man as well. So there's, there's lots of recurrent themes between the two films. So. Right. Well, there's, um, a, there's a lot of focus on the, the Maypole and that dance around the Maypole. Do either of you know anything about the history of that? I do not. Not a clue. 
Um, I, I, I only know it. That's, I love that scene because you're actually seeing the, the thing I'd heard as a kid was that you take ribbons and you weave them around. I always like that scene because, oh, it's finally acted out. I can see that. Um, I love it though, because that reminds me that they in school, the girls are in school, the boys are doing the maypole and she, the teacher says, what's the maypole all about? They go, oh, it's phallic. And yes. like, there's art history in action. You know, we, we, this is why they take art out of the schools. <laughs> Defund art programs, you know, um, because art is all very nasty. Art is dangerous. It's dealing with the unconsciousness. It's dealing with sexuality. You mean it's not just about making pretty pictures of cottages <laughs> in the Alps? No, not at all. Maybe oh, that's, the, maybe, you know, that's, that's an interesting topic too. Is it is it fair to say that art has to be dangerous? Is that a contemporary notion? I don't know. Because the green man, um, the images of the green man for me, um, they explain it as like, oh, nature and and that nature has its personality in, in, in many architectural books. But for me, it's a, a memento mori. Because mm. in when you die, all the plants are going to come through your body, right? So I, I've never seen anyone mention the green man as a as a vanity, like a 17th century Dutch painting, the Vanitas. And for me, that's how I see it. I mean, I know it's looked down upon to bring your contemporary um, notions, but the thing is, that's not contemporary. That is pretty ancient that we go back to the ground. So um, it's kind of like, dude, are you obsessed with death if you wear a skull as a punk rocker or as the Punisher or something like that? No, you're reminding yourself that, you know, Day of the Dead is that we're not here forever. You know, and vanity, definitely your books and your beliefs, even your Christianity won't stop you from dying. I think no. that really does come across in The Wicker Man as it's overall, it's a, a, a memento mori, the whole film. Um, and that's the part I think that really haunts me profoundly is that um, here he is. He's so much faith on Christianity that it doesn't save him. There's that other aspect to the film. Yeah. Oh, also, during, during the... Your letter. Yes. Uh, during the, the sacrifice part, um, I was fascinated with the fact that the wicker man has compartments, right? And it's not just a one off sacrifice. There's it's multi-species. So this is really up your alley, Candy, because multi-species get sacrificed. <laughs> Everybody's got their own compartment. That's right. I love that part. And it was also like an evil Noah's Ark in that way. Yeah. Right? I, I thought about that too. And I was trying to figure out what's the what's the relationship here. Right. Uh, did you notice, speaking of the artwork, there was a painting of a ship and it's really hard to read it. I don't know if it was in his room or what, but I kept thinking it was a Noah's Ark in there. Um, in one of the rooms, there, there was some weird artwork in this movie. Yeah. That would be a great essay too, just working on the artwork. I yeah. really enjoyed the fact that, that the filmmakers were really confident about sallying forth on a low budget. Yes. There's points in the movie where you see they're doing this obviously with cheesy costumes and, and low budget and it's all just fine. It all like I I never had to worry about suspending my disbelief. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm totally there for this. Yeah. Um, and towards the end, when we see the Wicker Man, that's really quite a spectacular uh, set they've built. Oh, it is so beautiful. Yep. Obviously, that's a money shot. It, it's it, you're you're right because it's all woven like a basket. It's gorgeous. Do you know anything about that, David? I don't know. I think they built a couple, um, oh. and, and the stumps were still there, kind of many years later. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't really know exactly right. much about the construction. I'm, I'm sure Brian goes into it in in his book, but um, it's a while since I read it. Yeah, but, yeah. But I, but I, I want to also just oh, mention, yeah. just because we haven't specifically said, but of course the pub in the film is the Green Man as well. Yes, I don't know yes. if uh, something yes. that kind of absolutely uh, interesting tie-in as well. Yes, the, uh, no, they they hit us over the head with that absolutely yeah. because it shows up a number of times, and yeah. then the Green Man and in 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 Brown's book. Um, you know, I went to the index and of course, so much activity goes surrounded that pub and they mentioned it an awful lot in the book, in the production notes as well. Um, yeah. yeah. And, Christianity, Christianity equals civil authority. 
in the film because the only Christian you meet is the one person who's in uniform and represents authority. That is true. So, I mean, it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a strong opinion there, right, from yes. the start. Yes, yes. And, you know, I can't say that the filmmakers hate Christianity or hate cops, per se, but it's definitely a very good way to explore um, dominion, um, authority, definitely, and, um, and to compare authorities. That, you know, again, at the end of the day, that's why I, I like that fundamentalist argument that they're both fundamentalists in a way, that they just will take it all the way. And the other thing is, um, everything is about economy. You know, there's often the joke of like, hey, why don't we just say it like it is? It's all about apples. Because the wicker man is trying to, they're trying to grow apples there. And that's their livelihood and their, uh, the reason they sacrifice them is because they had a bad crop. And um, it's quite political. At some point, it's not spiritual or mystical. It's absolutely political. As that That's we right. They've got to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And the belief has an awful lot to do with our economic survival because it's, everyone's it's, believing it. Much like us during a pandemic. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, you know, oh, there's there's trouble. There's this pandemic. We have to do something about it. Every politician will tell you we've been working hard. They all, that's the first thing they say, we've been working hard. Well, what do they actually do? Well, they're like scurrying around having activity so that they're trying to do something because they want to try to make things better, but they really have no power or control um, against, um, you know, against the pandemic, much like uh, the people on this island had no con really control over what happened to their apple crop. True. You know, well, I think the Christian guy, the uh, Howie says, well, you know, you don't, you can't grow apples here because apples don't grow on this silly island. Yeah. Yeah. That was funny too. And then there's palm trees on that island. I thought that was pretty <laughs> wicked because I guess it's getting part of the Mediterranean it's Scotland. It could be anything there. <laughs> well, Andrew Kumo, we talked about him um, off and on. And, you know, I never heard of the guy until the pandemic. He's a New York governor, was not on my radar and he's ousted now. He has done his job in the pandemic. They never wanted, you know, the powers that be wanted to get rid of him anyway. He he did his own crimes. Speaking of sexual lewdness, he was a handsy leader, touching people. But he's ousted now. Pandemic, we're opening up. Canceled. Done. We've canceled you because we don't need yeah. you anymore. We we you've done your job. You you were the face of um, keeping everybody stable in New York City during the pandemic. Goodbye. Uh, strangely, he seemed to do a good job during the pandemic. He did, um, yes. It's just what he was doing well doing the good job that wasn't so hot. Right, and there's a Shakespeare line that she never looked so good as when she was walking away. And uh, Judy, Julie, Rudy Giuliani, same thing. When 9-11, this guy was a prick. And then 9-11, he looked really good because he went into the building with the uh, firefighters. So I was impressed. I was like, wow, you're actually being a good leader. And then uh, again, right back to normal as soon as... Uh, <laughs> And we've watched that how many years later, that he's quite the cad. Well, I think he's Giuliani also credited himself for cleaning up the subways in New York and cleaning up street crime in New York. He did. Whether, in fact, he did that or not, um, I don't know. It's definitely, it's definitely more comfortable to be in New York City than it was yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. It's interesting, even I think during the course of the nine years that Seinfeld aired, at the beginning, they don't like Giuliani within the storyline. Mm -hmm. And then there's a point at which they kind of like him again, you know, and it's uh, that's quite interesting from a sort of historical perspective within the, the confines of a, of a, a sitcom. About very nothing. astute, very astute observation. I did not remember that at all. Yeah. yeah, I know, but you probably watch Seinfeld regularly still, right? We, we've not rewatched it for a while, actually. We'll yeah. probably do a, a breakfast time. <laughs> A breakfast time rewatch yeah so uh so like everywhere it comes on at any time you never know actually we 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 were we were doing for a few years we did a kind of we'd watch all nine seasons and then literally start again at the beginning every morning so you know but we've not done it for a while now it's it's probably mm -hmm. time yeah i haven't i've never rewatched it and i keep saying i'm going to as we talked about last time you were on um yeah. i'm doing this premise right now uh, very slowly rewatching The Sopranos and loving it a hundred times even more than the first mm -hmm. time I watched it. 
uh, Steg had written, my husband Steg has written something for us, and I'm going to read it out. When he heard we were going to do this episode, he really wanted to put his two cents worth it. And he had never seen Wicker Man, the Wicker Man, when he wrote it. So here we go. Way past 31 years ago, I remember a rock band at the Cabaret Metro here in Chicago. My friends gathered up each other to see and hear some live music. A handful of less than scruffies took their places with their instruments on stage. Wicker Man was the band's name. Out of the speakers grew this drug-laced musical sound that no matter how soundboard tweaked could only be semi-verbalized as garage. I remember all the girls made their way to the back to drink, smoke, and talk about shopping. <laughs> oh, stay. And most of the <laughs> rocker crowd was more than confused. My, friend, my friend's faces held expressions of bliss. I learned then and there that muffled, punctuated, dirgy, loud, fuzzed-out rock was fun. The parameters of aesthetics and sound was reset. Wicker man. Come off as nasty, but to the untrained eyes and ears, it was masterful. <laughs> so um, then he said when he watched the film, he went, oh, I understand their clothes now because I guess they dress super 70s. Uh, and I mean, how many years ago was that? Uh, 30 years, he said. So it must have been kind of crazy to see a band dressed in the 70s. And yeah. they must have... Yeah, I know. I now I want to go look up Wicker Man. <laughs> David, you've got the soundtrack there. Um, can you yeah. tell us anything about um, who produced the music? Do you know anything about Thank the history you. of the music? Yeah. Um, a, a lot of it was written by a guy called Paul Giovanni, um, who I think uh, died pretty young, uh, oh. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and he's in, he's in the film. You'll see him. He's got the very black hair. Uh, singing a lot of the lead lines. Um, so, so he's the kind of, uh, I'm not sure if I can find a picture of him here perhaps to show you, if not your listeners, no, there's nothing. Um, but yeah, quite a striking looking guy actually. Um, and in fact, my copy is signed by Ian Cutler, the violinist, who, oh. who lives miles from here. Um, and, and as does as does the choreo choreographer Stuart Hopps, who also lives here in town, um, and and is a call him a friend of ours, uh, and and he went on to do things like um, the Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger, for example. Oh, I love part. it. So you know, um, but in terms of the music, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just I think it's just a bunch of young guys pulled together I mean it's, it's released under the name Magnet as a, as a kind of a band but I don't think Magnet really existed I don't know <laughs> that's a whole nother Wicker Man mystery in its in its own right I think this you know mm. made up fictional band that, that did the music um, but yeah so you'll see them credited as, as the, at the beginning as Magnet but I don't think there really was such a such a band Hearing mm -hmm. the music with people dancing around in costumes reminded me of the Morris dancing tradition. Mm. You know, where where people would kind of you know show up and do their dance in amongst people doing something yeah. else. Um, I, I recall actually once I was drinking beer with Candy in Kensington Market when a bunch of Morris dancers came through, oh, yeah. and they just were like uh, like a tornado coming through the market and disappearing again it was it was quite something but also they had um all kinds of oddball costumes that um when i saw them i thought well everything they're wearing must represent something you know it seemed like it was very symbolic and structured but i didn't know anything about the structure or the symbol um, yeah. i was mostly intrigued because there was a button accordion and well you know i like button accordions <laughs> <laughs> right. i mean the weird thing about uh, morris dances is, is is how different um the troops dress, you know, you have this kind of idea that the, of all the colorful ones, we've seen those, but we've also seen um, around and about troops completely dressed in black with black makeup and long black sort of wigs and stuff. And it's, it's a whole different thing. It's like, you know, something out of a David Lynch movie. It's so weird. <laughs> and, and they're like play fighting in Morris dancing. Or yeah, is it yeah, like yeah. It's like sticks or swords or- yeah. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me, that sword scene at the end of the movie was incredible, I, where they put the sword into a star shape. It's, I, it must be six swords, and they yeah. cross them. I oh, don't that know was how such they, a great scene. I don't even know how they came up to invent that. Did they invent that? Is that a thing from, I don't know, A Knight's Tale? I don't know. But it's amazing. Everyone popped. 
they they do like a, a line dance a, a you know what's that called like soul train what's that called um there's a two people in a row several people hold these swords in the shape of a star which i loved or a sun around the, the green man and then everybody puts their head up with a mask on so they've recreated the green man in a whole new way or a mask and i mean m-a-s-q-u-e in a really brilliant way that's a profoundly wonderful scene it really is and it really sort of says that in our, in our community we all take the risk we can all be sacrificed we so all have true. to stick our head yeah. up and it was so chilling because they they cut the head off the mask and and it was it looked like well they killed somebody yeah. but in fact person was below the head it was really an excellent scene i loved yeah, it yeah yeah the movie gets very scary the last 15 minutes it's i don't find it scary at all the first part but that last 15 minutes is pretty 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 cool it's pretty horror um, it's Paul, funny i didn't feel afraid it, it <laughs> seemed it seemed pretty straightforward to me that that they were committed to the brutality of it and so i wasn't surprised when the the good christian guy didn't get away and beat up on uh, the bad pagans and okay. um and take control of the island you know right. i just didn't surprise me at all like right. these guys they were committed and um i thought one of the fascinating things with the film was just how committed they were this is going to happen you're getting martyred buddy <laughs> um, there's no escape yeah. We're well, used to there being an escape, right? That's like true. MacGyver. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it's, it's a bleak ending, you know, for, you know, for some, and I think that's probably something that tied into what I was saying earlier about it being an eye-opening film for me in my, in my mid-teens is this, you expect a happy ending. We, we still expect happy endings so much of the time in films. And this is kind of really, it couldn't be bleaker. <laughs> yes, it couldn't be bleaker. And I mean, death I mean, by fire. Maybe it's a happy ending if you live on the island and you have a good yeah. crop here next year. Well, then maybe that's everything's it. okay. And I think that's also what the film is saying, that it depends who is telling the story. What, yeah, side, yeah. Of, what side of the battle are you on? Um, Paul Giovanni, I just looked, he died of AIDS. Oh, uh, okay. Yep, and he was in his 60s. And then uh, what about Burning Man? Is Burning Man... They build a big, huge structure. Do you think that would have trickled over to the creators of the Burning Man Festival? Oh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm certain it must, surely. It must have. Yeah. It must have, because in a weird way, to think of Burning Man now and watch this movie, The Wicker Man, it's really, it's a lot of fun yeah. <laughs> to just think of, like, could this have influenced that? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't know a huge uh, amount about Burning Man, I feel like I'm everything I say, I say I don't know a huge amount of it. <laughs> well, that's what because you're very you humble. Show, <laughs> no, you are our expert and you're a humble expert. I appreciate that. Um, but but I, I you know, you see, I, I well, I've seen plenty of photos of Burning Man. There seems to be a lot of um uh, cavorting around naked and yes. sexual conquest, you know, which all comes from the Wicker Man, surely, you know. It's and about, isolation. They're very yeah. far away from, they've pulled themselves away yeah. from society, yeah. our mainstream society. And they have, there's ethos in Burning Man. I got a grant from Burning Man one time for our, for working with unhoused persons. And you definitely had to explain why your ethos fit into their right. ethos. It was, yeah. Yeah. And a friend uh, of ours, I think, has been a, a couple of times and she did say, you know, you guys should come. And uh, I, know. I must confess, I'm, I'm a, teensy bit scared of it it seems, it seems pretty full on yeah but, um, i would i would have loved to have gone at some point but um i feel like i've done burning man i yeah. i went to a lot of different festivals over the years it wasn't burning man but definitely did some you know psychonaut community-based uh activities yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i feel like i've been there yeah. um yeah no also the heat for me it's mm. the desert i i need to have some shade <laughs> oh, the, the sand in every crevice as well. I mean, yes, you, you, yes. Yeah, no, that's yeah. not comfortable. No, but I, I <laughs> love the idea. There's some, there's a good documentary we watched about Burning Man. Uh, I'll try and find the name of it for us. Um, yeah, cool. Stag was terrified in this movie, so there you go. I think he was the perfect sacrifice for our discussion yeah. today because, um, you know, he did not want to watch it with me. We watched it in the daytime. And um, I think he was, I think he was really impressed for sure. 
And um, yeah. but he was scared. He didn't. He didn't like that. Uh, that final scene is pretty disturbing. What did you all think of the landlord's daughter uh, section of it? Um, the, like my first thought was like, this is like all those cheesy farmer's daughter jokes. Um, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. and it was in a way it was a joke. They were, they were making a joke about themselves. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's a great, a great song, but it's kind of creepy, isn't it? In a, in a looking at it from now. It's peculiar. It's very yeah. I, like at that point I thought this is a peculiar movie. <laughs> I've never seen anything quite like this. And it's like a really it, it's confident in its own peculiarity. Yeah. Like they knew what they wanted to, to do and they delivered it, right? They didn't mess about. Yeah. You know, I think it's a it's a more enjoyable movie watching it again. I you know I'm not gonna say you have to watch it again, Eugene. I think I'm I'm pretty impressed you watched it at all. I, I feel bad when I force you to watch a movie, but I think it's really got a lot to it. Um I've never seen the Nicolas Cage one. There's a remake. What was that like? Have you seen that? I'm sure. <laughs> You're making a terrible <laughs> face. <laughs> I've, I've heard seen it, I've seen it once and and there's not much I remember about it, but the central premise uh, is that he's allergic to bees of all things? Oh, um, it's just—it uh, was just such a terrible film. You know, I love Nicolas Cage. I think he's—he's he's the greatest ham actor of our time. You know? <laughs> uh, and and I'll watch anything with him in it. You know, not love everything that he's in, but I'll watch. But watch it, sure. Yeah. I love great. him too. I love him but too, but I've it. never seen that. It's a shocking film, and it was made by um, this guy, Neil, uh, God, I forget his name, who made a couple of good films before, and this was just me, like, this this killed him stone dead in my estimation. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, it is famous for being, like, one of the worst movies ever made. I, yeah. I think the Rotten Tomatoes aggregator gives it 13%. <laughs> what does it give The Wicker Man, the original? Uh, I think think it's in the 90s yeah i think yeah. it's in the 90s if not tall 80s i'll see if i can find out but it i mean this is a beloved film for people who love it we love yeah. it yeah no it's definitely you know it's one of my favorite uh films of all time and certainly in my sort of probably my favorite british film of all time for sure so uh yeah it's it's very close to my heart that's pretty cool <laughs> that's pretty cool i and i think we can see northern exposure twin peaks yeah. I think the people that created those, sure. I feel like they saw this in the art, you know, in the repertoire theater in their youth and, and it's, yeah. it's stuck with them. That actually makes a lot of sense. Doesn't it? Yeah. You, you, that, that little community that's all weird and eccentric personalities. I mean, I could see this as a TV show. I could have seen them do a series, the Wicker Man, <laughs> because they have some crazy characters there. What are the girl, the children girls were, they don't show the, the boys very much. But they show the power of girls to be like mean girls, like the children, to have that like weird, scary energy that girls can have. <laughs> I think because we have periods or something, you know, um, they definitely produce that. And these girls have little evil grins. They, yeah. know, so- they know something too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I've been having the film running the whole time we've been talking. So oh. we've we're just at the, the final scene now, the denouement. They're just about to set the fire. Uh, that is such so a fantastic idea. I wish I'd put it behind me. You are, <laughs> you are the, the ultimate guest. So clever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about clever, but yeah. <laughs> so I hope our listeners will check out this film, and I'd love to hear if anyone's seen it or um, will check it out. And um, what are some, any other thoughts? Do we have any other thoughts today? I mean, I would, I would really urge people to to seek out if they're gonna seek it out, and, and they should because it's a great film. Try to get either what they call the final cut, which came out about four or five years ago, mm-hmm. or the director's cut, which is the longest version. Uh, and try not to watch the version that you two guys have watched. <laughs> that's, that's horribly shortened, and yes. uh, yeah, so, there's more music in the longer one. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's, there's some. This it's it's a weird thing because. The different versions, it's not just a case of them having scenes cut. There are also scenes in some of the shorter versions that are not in the longer version. So you kind of, you really need to watch them all, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> well, that is fantastic. Homework. I have it, homework. 
even it's, yeah. even its reissues have created this culture of rewatching, which is yeah. you know when you love films you want to rewatch them, and um, when you love a TV show you want to go down that alley again, and um, there there's something there is something about where you see extra details you're more confident because you know the ending you're not as afraid. Um, mm. I think it activates that childhood thing. You know, children like to watch things over and over again, too. They don't care. I had a friend once. We knew a friend. He was um, he was a friend of a Bronto Crush Rock back in the day, a punk band in in Toronto. And he had a little toddler. He was a drum. I don't know if he, I think he was the, the um, he was one of the guitarists in the band. And he had this daughter at she was about three and every day she asked to see this movie and she'd be so afraid and she'd be scared and she'd say daddy i don't know what's going to happen and he'd say well maybe santa will come and save everybody just like he did last time (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and she would be right back into it again you know know, one of the things that struck me was that on the one hand it's one of those films that very much resides in its time. Like you watch it for five minutes and you know this is a 70s film um, in so many respects. Um, and it didn't bother me at all. I thought, yeah. oh, okay, that's fine. And I just <laughs> got into that time. And so I, I think that's a, a testament to how well it was done. Yes. Um, even though even though they were, they were stuck in their time, um, uh, even though they had a lot of cheesy things going on, they had some budget issues, none of that mattered. They managed to overcome all of it, suck me right in. And, um, you know, I was watching it and, uh, and, and Sheila could hear the music in the other room. She wasn't <laughs> watching it. And so every now and then she'd, she'd call up and say, is that the horror film? Is that listening to the music? <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's not really exactly a horror film in, in that sense. And I like it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of sexuality. There's, there's, um, it, it, and it's sort of, some of it was kind of almost mundane. It was like, um, uh, you know, he walks Stylized. outside at nighttime and, and he, in nighttime out on the field, outside of the pub, there's like 20 people having sex and they're like very automatic. Like they're very, they're not like all like losing themselves in it. They seem pretty concentrated. That reminded me of Eyes Wide Shut. Because yeah. there's a little bit of a link to Eyes Wide Shut with this sure. film with that weird cult. And then and what's the masks, really yeah. and the masks, exactly. Then there's this brilliant, brilliant part of it where there's androgyny. Because at one point, I completely forgot watching it that that was Christopher Lee dressed up as a female uh, stereotype. He has a very long, waist length black wig that's a really great right. wig. And he's wearing a dress. Yeah. And and that's his costume. And I was like, oh, my God, that is really so brilliant. And I don't know why, but it is brilliant. And it, it just another um, adds to the longevity of the storytelling. And he's also wearing like, you know, for 19 early 1970s, a remote Scottish island. He's wearing like kind of Converse All Stars or something. Yes. Like this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's true. You have to have sensible footwear. and also oh my god he could have been in nirvana with those shoes and that dress right so it really does have a like that's a kurt cobain picture virtually from like you know the inside of in utero or something exactly exactly it's pretty cool (laughs) no it's brilliant (laughs) yeah it's definitely a rock and roll film even though it's folk music (laughs) that's true that's a good point Yeah. yeah Well, hey, where'd rock and roll come from anyway? It's all folk music. It's all folk music. Or as I like to say, I like all kinds of folk music. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. Well, have we ruined this one yet? Where are you now? Where are you now? What's happening? It's all over. It's back to the menu now. It's oh, it's back to the, you watched the whole film while we were talking. That is fantastic. I'll put, on, I'll put it on about a quarter of an hour before we start, maybe 20 minutes oh, before we started, something like that. So, that's yeah. That's so cool. It was just there as a little, you know, little background, better than the bare walls. Isn't right. Great, great idea. idea. Great idea. Listen, it's been fantastic to have you. I hope our listeners, if they haven't watched it or if they have watched it, I would love to hear personal opinions about this movie. I'll yeah, go, our- go see this one. If you don't know anything about it, just 
find a copy, find it on a streaming service. Just go watch it. Let us know what you think. It's uh, it's such an unusual film. It's very, you know, I'm the last person to use the word iconic usually, <laughs> but this kind of qualifies, doesn't it? It does. Absolutely. It's going to be timeless and people are going to talk about it in 50 years if the human race survives. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely unique. You know, I mean, I know that, that in the, the, the past few years, we've seen a rash of folk horror and, and, and things like The Witch, which no doubt you've seen, yes. and, uh, you know, but it's this is, I think, probably the birth of them all. And uh, it's 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 got to, you know, you've got to watch it if you're interested in obscure British horror folk movies, this is the one. This is the one. This is the one. Absolutely. This is the gateway drug of obscure <laughs> British horror folk movies. Yeah. I'm gonna nice. watch I'm gonna watch Midsummer this afternoon. Can't yeah, wait. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Oh, All right. Thank you very much for being with us. And it's been Thank a lot you. of fun. Pleasure. Thanks. And uh, just great to hang out with you. Go get and Mr. For our Lewis listeners, Please, uh, please buy David's music. Support, support your friendly neighborhood, Mr. Wu's pig. Let's make him an international star. <laughs> well, with our influence, it's good. Yeah, with That'll our influence, happen. that's right. We're influencers to uh, yeah. tens of people. Um, and you can email us at theagency.podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.